Hi guys, welcome to my Move and Inspire podcast. My name is Sophie Deer. I'm a yoga teacher, a health and happiness warrior, and like you, I'm constantly doing my best to navigate this crazy world that we live in. My mission is to spread the zest that I have for life to each and every one of you and give you the chance to feel empowered, strong, connected, healthy, and above all, happy. I will be interviewing some kick-ass and inspirational people to motivate you to create transformations in order to live your best possible life. So I'm thrilled that Gary from Make a Change World and Sungai Watch is joining me for my next podcast. I met Gary a couple of weeks ago when I went to my first river cleanup in Bali. These are organized every Friday afternoon. For me, my first cleanup brought about a mixture of emotions, complete despair at the amount of plastic embedded into the soil. I mean, layer upon layer upon layer, but also a huge sense of community, connection, purpose, and love. To be a part of a big group of people, all volunteering their time to help with this terrible, terrible problem. So hi, Gary. Hey, thank you so much for having me on and giving me the, this great platform to share um, our message. I'm so excited to get chatting to you. As I said before, I really feel like I'm going to learn so, so much from this chat. So thank you so much for coming. No, thank you. So I think let's just start with you telling us a bit about you and what led you to start a movement to clean up Bali's waterways. Definitely. So, you know, I grew up in Bali. I've uh, been here for 16 years, had the huge privilege of growing up with my family on this paradise island. Um, so I was eight at the time and, you know, really rapidly saw this beautiful island turn into, in many ways, the trash island where, you know, year after year, more tourism meant more consumerism, meant more plastics on the beaches. And we really saw that slow degradation of our beaches go from like pristine white, picturesque beach that you would see um, on... Um, you know, a, a letter that you'd send to what it is now in the rainy season. So at 14, um, with my brother and sister, who were 12 and 16, we decided that we were going to make a change um, and literally use our very own beach um, to start a movement. And so that's really where Make a Change started. Um, week after week, inviting friends together to, to clean our beaches, but very quickly realizing that, you know, the trash that we were picking up on the beach was very much coming that next day. So our work, you know, in many ways, is just like, like sweeping the floor with good faith, but not really addressing the sources of the problem. And so upon Googling very quickly, we realized that 90% of plastics actually come from rivers in the first place, you know, where illegal dumps on land um, or with rains, you know, here in, in Indonesia, where we don't have too much waste management, um, trickles down into the rivers, into the ocean. So we thought, you know, if we can stop it, um, at least prevent it from going into the ocean where it can freely, um, uh, you know, a piece of plastic here on, in Bali could very much end up in LA in an open ocean. So if we could prevent it in rivers, that's really where the job and work um, can be done. That's crazy to think that a piece of plastic from here could end up in LA. Yeah, I mean, like, um, you know, so we do... One of our core um, focus is expeditions. Um, with my brother, uh, we've always had this sense of adventure, started Make a Change by climbing um, the biggest volcano here on Bali, uh, you know, to do a little fundraiser. 
uh, but through some of our expeditions, like in Belize and in, in the Caribbean, you know, we've come across like uh, one day, like I literally came across a, a condom that was with a French, um, <laughs> a French description in the Caribbean ocean. So, you know, sometimes you just see the most random uh, plast- pieces of plastics, unfortunately, ending up, um, you know, elsewhere. We In Australia, people are complaining about seeing the aqua cups um, that, you know, are being used on the island of Bali in the midst of ceremonies, um, the Danon aqua cups. Um, so, you know, things end up literally everywhere. So that's why, uh, for us at least, it's so important to, to stop it even before um, it enters our, our rivers in the first place. And river cleaning, in many ways, is like the fun, um, super engaging way to do so. So that's, it's been, a, yeah, super cool to be able to grow the movement from here in Bali. That's so cool. So you've been doing that literally since you were 14. Yeah, so um, sort of started as a beach cleanup organization back with Make a Change. We were called Make a Change Bali at the time. It was like a youth movement um, to get young people invested in cleaning up the beach. Um, But very quickly, you know, this was like when environmentalism was not as sexy as it is today. Um, You know, people would, you know, it was like literally to get our friends to clean ups on a Saturday morning uh, or a Sunday morning was definitely not especially teens, um, it was not, not that easy. Um, and basically really saw quickly the power of images and social media and the power of media in helping us raise as much awareness as possible on the issue. So that's where Make a Change Bali became Make a Change World. I moved to New York um, to become a filmmaker, studied at the New York Film Academy uh, for a year, do- studying documentary filmmaking. Um, and then, you know, interned, worked advice. And with Nat Geo, learned all about, you know, the power of media. And that's where we t- sort of took a turn um, and made Make a Change Bali become Make a Change World as a media outlet and covering frontline activists all around the world and change makers to bring plastic pollution to front, na- front page news. Um, and then coming back to Bali two years ago, uh, you know, I was always... When, you, when you're a filmmaker, especially, like, you know, you can be posting so much about the problem, but if you don't actually, like, I wasn't seeing the exact impact with my own bare hands. I was posting um, these cool videos on social media, but not seeing direct impact. So that's where, um, you know, this idea of Sungai Watch um, really started uh, to get back to real activism on the ground. And so we just started Sungai Watch, um, you know, one year ago. And Sungai Watch's mission is to protect our rivers here in Bali, make river cleaning super simple, super DIY. So on the island, we're building 100 trash barriers to prevent these plastics from going out into the ocean. So trash barriers you know, could be um, floating PVC pipes with some um, uh, stainless steel or steel um, wires to prevent the plastics from going into the ocean um, or the little cages that we set up um, around so, um, so, you know, we're constantly innovating to see what are easy methods that anybody can replicate themselves. Um, and the idea is to, you know, soon enough um, make all the learnings that we'll be doing uh, fully open source for anybody to replicate um, their solutions. So we're learning so much um, on the go, uh, but really seeing that, you know, that this plastic pollution epidemic is, you know, is never ending. 
So these um, trash barriers that you're creating, are they, or, is that already in the mix? Is that something that's already started happening? Yeah, so um, for the last 10 months, we've been piloting um, on various rivers around this area in Tibu Benang and Shangu and Brawa. Um, we set up three to begin with um, and, you know, really saw how they were reacting with those heavy rains uh, that came in last rainy season. Um, COVID has hit, uh, hit us quite, um, you know, as, as the entire world. And it was quite hard to, to get sponsors in the midst of all this. So that's what really inspired, um, you know, we're not going to st stand still, wait for money to come in. We're going to actually cultivate a movement and see, you know, if we can get enough volunteers, enough interest um, through in Bali to actually make a difference. And so um, that's what started, you know, again, those weekly cleanups. Um, and so now, you know, volunteers uh, suggest their own location. Um, so whether it's, uh, typic so typically we try to focus on emergency um, locations. So, you know, we're not going to just cho choose a random river. Um, it needs to be fairly disturbed or fa fairly like a lot of trash so that we can get as much action as possible. Um, so on average, we clean up about 800 kilos of trash per cleanup and have anywhere between 60 to 140 um, volunteers at these cleanups. So it's like very focused around making as much impact within those two hours. Um, back to the trash barriers, um, you know, by the end of the year, we, we, we're going to have 25 um, in Bali rivers. So right now, every week we have an installation. So our next one is this Thursday, if you're free to come through. Not Friday. Thursday clean, uh, set up, Friday clean up. Ah, I see. Okay, cool. And so, because um, the last one I did with you, I thought it was interesting that we weren't just cleaning up the um, the plastic from the river. You had guys um, uh, cutting down um, like trees that had got in the way of the river flow. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So um, this last cleanup that we organized, um, you know, there, there's these been like these huge trees that have fell, uh, big tree logs, and they're blocking the river flow. Um, so creating huge floods in the rainy season, um, you know, up to flooding people's houses and uh, one of the main streets. So the rivers in Indonesia are like in many ways regarded as toilets. People, you know, don't see them, um, don't even pay attention to them. They're like literally in the back of houses and that's where you throw your rubbish. Uh, that's where you use the toilet. Um, and so they're not being maintained at all. So a lot of times if they don't get the proper attention, because access is always quite hard. Um, trees will overgrow. Um, so in our mission to, to clean and protect, we obviously focus on, on, on the plastics because that's you know the material that you can pull away, potentially recycle, create value out of it. Um, but in many ways, you know, sometimes it's being clogged by big trees. Um, so it's not in our interest at all to cut down trees, but you know, when it's a big tree log that, is, that has fallen into the river, uh, we need a lot of, you know, heavy machinery, chainsaws uh, to make sure that the river flows um, properly. Okay, so can you like talk us through the whole process of organizing the cleanups and then also what happens to the plastic once it's been cleaned from the rivers? Right, for sure. So, um, um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, obviously organizing a cleanup is fairly easy. You just choose a location, number one, uh, you know, then potentially post a poster on social media um, get people to know that the event is going to happen. So in our case, every cleanup 
uh, we engage the local community, local government. Um, so in Bali, we have various um, modes of government. You have like the local villager, the, the village, uh, the muni municipality and the region. So each of the different levels have to be informed. Um, in the, in the, if there's trees, we um, also are in touch with the Ministry of Public Works to help us actually cut down. Um, and then some bags, obviously, some gloves, reusable gloves. Um, in the midst of COVID, we want to make sure that all our participants are bringing their own gloves, their masks. Um, and basically, you know, once you have a key volunteers that, that know the mission, you run them down, debrief them before the event so that you get as much impact, uh, divide the group up and boom, hopefully, you know, you get as much plastic as possible. Um, after every cleanup, the first thing that we do with the trash is weigh it to have the total amount of wet waste that we collected. So all the materials that we've pulled, um, but, and then really begins the, the sorting process. So, you know, that's where we bring all of this plastics into our research station, um, which is not too far away, located right at the north of Changu in Tungba Bayou. Um, and there we have a team of sorters who, you know, literally will, we do, we do these events as well voluntarily. Um, so every week we have two um, volunteer sorting sessions, but we have a team dedicated to sorting as well. Um, and so we divide the plastics in like 12 different categories from like single use um, sachets. They're like our biggest enemy. Um, in Indonesia, you know, you have warungs or even markets uh, completely entirely filled to the brink of these single use sachets. And they're like the one time use uh, soaps or, you know, one time use. Um, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, shampoo, everything literally um, comes single use. And that's because the, the market around um, Indonesia, you know, like the, the daily wage in many areas of the country is so low that many of these brands have decided to wrap everything, like literally for that single, like, you know, in Europe, you, you will never get like one little dosage of shampoo for a shower, like, but, um, you know, unfortunately that's the true, the true reality of what we have here in, in Indonesia uh, with the lobbying behind it. And in many ways, these single use sachets are multi-layered, so they can't be recycled because it's like various plastics mixed together um, with extra ink to make it as, as, as flashy as possible for, to catch your eye um, in the shopping aisle. Um, then we have like plastic bags. Those actually can be recycled in Indonesia. In many places around the world, they can't. Um, they, in Indonesia, they either turned into back into plastic bottles, so shredded, hot washed, um, or there's various um, innovations right now, you know, towards transforming plastic bags into things like bricks uh, mixed with sand um, and other various uh, stronger material, like building construction material. Uh, then you have the plastic cups and plastic containers. Um, you know, those again are not the most uh, pretty bad type of plastic here in Bali instead of, so instead of a plastic bottle, they use these single use, um, you know, potentially like 15 centiliters uh, little cups just for ceremonies or big events. And those, um, again, have various plastics used within the packaging. Um, then you have plastic bottles. Those can be recycled. Um, the plastic, um, plastic bottle caps, um, those are made from a different plastics as well. It um, can be recycled. Um, yeah, and then, and then uh, you know, metals, glass, 
um, uh, foams, all the foams, the so styrofoam, sandals, uh, we have textiles as well, uh, electrical wire, um, you know, and the, and the list goes on. Actually, we're, we always so we always add an extra category after a big so- sorting session when we find something new that we've never found on the river. Um, it's actually quite interesting, uh, the amounts, like a lot of diapers as well, um, so much diapers, um, which is crazy. Um, in Indonesia, there's this myth um, that if you burn your diapers, because a, a lot of the trash in Indonesia is being burnt openly um, in the back of people's houses without you know, them being aware of the consequences of CO2 uh, you know, being um, leashed through that. And so um, there's this myth that like, says that like, if you burn your diapers, you're going to burn your baby's butt. So they you know, just toss it in the river to make sure that their baby's butt will remain cleaned. And so that's like a thing that, that is actually, uh, you know, people like live by that myth. And so you know, every cleanup, we might be getting like 30 to 50 diapers, um, which is insane. Uh, and definitely not the... So I guess like... You know, the river cleanup is unlike a beach cleanup in that you're right in the garbage and right in the layers of plastics. And I think that in many ways, um, it's a reflection of our, of our habits, a reflection of, you know, who we are as mankind. Um, and so we try to engage to get as many people out on rivers, uh, whether it's a CEO um, of one of these plastic packaging, we've had a couple come down. Um, and, you know, seeing their expressions on their faces when they're actually picking up their diaper or their own plastic packaging um, is always quite interesting. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, this movement can continue to grow and um, through the sorting process as well, uh, we can unleash, you know, some really cool data as to what is actually in our rivers. So what happens with like when you bring a CEO down and they're shocked? to see what their plastic is doing. What, have you had any interesting stories in terms of what has happened next? Yeah, um, so well, I guess it's all part of um, relationship building. At the end of the day, um, you know, I think that a lot of these, see, so a lot of these brands that we're finding in the rivers should be the ones paying for the rivers to be cleaned because, well, um, I think it, it, it's a pretty big, um, conversation and it can be seen in many different perspectives um you know these brands oftentimes are are pointing fingers at the consumer saying that you know it's not our responsibility we're just packaging the the products in plastics after we're done producing it and 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 retailers sell it it's up to the consumer to do what he wants or she wants um but in many ways i think it's it's this um issue between governments or lack of infrastructure being available in, in developing countries like in Indonesia or many other countries around the world. Product, uh, producers obviously should be a part of the conversation, um, but consumers as well. Like We need way more education for consumers to actually know what to do with the plastics. And if they don't have infrastructures in place, obviously so many times they're going to be dumping the plastics on the back of their houses, in rivers, in illegal dumps. Um, and so um, we've, you know, one of the biggest areas of focus is all of this data that we're collecting through our sorting. Um, so actually, we'll have our first data set at the end of next week, um, which we could be making available through, through, this, uh, through this channel, because um, it's actually really interesting to see, you know, what, who are the brands that are actually 
polluting Bali rivers and how we can track back. Um, but a lot of these CEOs oftentimes, you know, have no, um, yeah, have very little awareness of the actual impact that their plastic packaging is producing. Um, you know, some of my crazy environmentalist friends are like, these brands are haunting our planet. You know, at the end of the day, like if you're trying to find um, the actual polluter, you oftentimes sometimes look at the brand that's on the packaging and you can trace it back. So if it's, for example, you know, um, a Coca-Cola bottle and the only piece of evidence that you have is that Coca-Cola logo, um, whether it's in the middle of the Pacific or in a river in Bali, well, you can track it back to, you know, just having a conversation with those CEOs or those brands saying, hey guys, look, you, you guys are responsible for 11% of whatever the percentage is. Um, so trying to create the systems in place and hopefully, you know, get them to fund um, the initiatives. Because I think that versus pointing fingers and, and, um, and not progressing on solutions, I think that it's, uh, you know, everybody needs to come together, especially in these times, uh, to try to, you know, elevate solution and uh, protect our rivers in, in, in the first place. Yeah, I think, um, I don't think anyone can comprehend it until you go to uh, a river cleanup. Like, I've never done that. I've never done something like this anywhere apart from here. And I've been meaning to do it for months, actually. And then I was like, right, finally, I'm going to come down. But I, I thought it would be bad, but I had just never realised it would be... I don't know how to even try and explain it. Like, we are just doing the surface level and we're trying to get into... We can obviously see the soil on the riverbank and you can see layer upon layer upon layer. But what are, what's going back away from the river and what's going down? Like, it must just be there must just be so so much plastic and it really horrified me so I think it's so cool that you're um getting people down who are um as you say responsible for this problem and getting them to really have a look at it but I I couldn't recommend more to anyone who either visits Bali when Bali's borders are open or live here to just come and do a river cleanup because it's just it's so educational and um and as I said in the intro, it's like it's super inspiring and um, amazing to be a part of, but also, you know, deeply depressing as well, in a way. Um, but it's so cool that you're doing something about it. So let's look at it like that. <laughs> Actually, so, yeah, like I think that, you know, um, one of the, the moments that really changed my life to, to, to get me on this path of cleaning rivers um, really all started when um, so three summers ago. I uh, really wanted to, you know, to make an impact. And we weren't doing river cleanups every week, um, but we were very driven on this idea of media, of, you know, powerful storytelling with our cameras. And so upon Googling the most polluted river in the world, um, we were super shocked to find that that river was located actually on our, uh, on Java, so the island next to Bali. Um, and so we had the crazy idea of, going down the river on two plastic bottle kayaks that we built ourselves. Um, so, you know, made from a bamboo frame and 300 plastic bottles. And so for two weeks, without really any idea of what we're getting ourselves into, uh, we rode down the river, uh, you know, documenting what was happening. Um, and obviously the Chito, the Chito room runs for about 300 kilometers just east of Jakarta, uh, right through the city of Bandung, which is Indonesia's third 
largest population. And that's where, you know, you have like literally factories after factories of textile waste. Um, so, you know, from your Gap um, to Zara, H&M, all the fast fashion brands in the world, um, a lot of them uh, do their textile dyes on the treaty room. And, you know, these guys are just pumping out all of their waste directly into the river. So um, that experience was a lot, lot, lot worse than what we have in Bali. Um, you know, so from literally this, this river was like a, a moving landfill, just like plastics everywhere. We, at one point we got stuck in, in a plastic berg, a plastic iceberg, we call it. Um, you know, we're literally like on our little plastic bottle kayak, we were completely surrounded with plastics and like for every paddle, uh, literally, you know, we get like plastic bags entangled. Um, and I remember like seeing like this little turtle that was literally <laughs> the turtle story, but definitely like that was right in front of me, uh, not knowing what it was doing, but definitely like it was like trying to make its way up, almost suffocating on, on these layers and layers of plastics. Um, but the, the, you know, the color was black. Um, and it was not like a, it was like a, a black toxic mayonnaise, like super gushy with the sediments, uh, smell like rotten eggs, a uh, terrible, terrible experience. And so from, I think from that moment on, when you've experienced the true devastation of what mankind is capable to do on our planet, your mind hundred percent shifts. And, um, so the cheetah room was in a, in a way like, you know, the biggest call that there, there was. Um, and so also, you know, like we posted those videos on social media. So literally a shot of me in the kayak, uh, surrounded by the plastics and overnight, actually our videos went viral. Um, and so they, you know, gained international attention, um, national attention, but, um, gaining traction of, of, of like literally two weeks after we finished ministry of the environment of Indonesia, uh, wants to meet us to announce like an emergency cleanup plan. And four weeks later, the Indonesian president announces Indonesia's biggest cleanup in its history, the Chitarum Harum uh, cleanup, uh, deploying 7,000 military troops to clean the river. So um, just within that expedition, um, to be proven successful, to change a country's mindset and bringing like, you know, clean rivers is like the, one of the main dialogues that there is, um, was truly so empowering because um, we were like, nobody's like, you know, we were just like with our cameras trying to make a difference, um, having grown up in Indonesia. And so now I think that, you know, looking back at that story, um, we truly want to make a difference. You know, like that is just one river. What if we could change all, all rivers in Indonesia to restore them into like the pristine alleyways that they should be? So a lot of work to be done, um, but that keeps on going, keeps us going. We actually go back to the Chita room every two to three months to monitor um, and I think that in many ways, you know, like the, the, the 22 year old me three years ago and my brother being 20, like we had no idea that rivers would become our lifelong journey. So now, uh, we're all about, you know, trying to protect rivers. That is amazing. I literally got goosebumps saying <laughs> that story. It's so cool. Cause I was going to, as you were talking, I was going to say like, what are the big changes that you've you've seen since you've been doing this? Because I know one of the um, things that the Balinese government has brought in is no plastic bags. Right, yeah. When did that happen? So that happened in June 2019. Uh, my girlfriend 
Melati and her sister, um, they also work together, um, sibling duo. Um, you know, I've been campaigning for the last seven years to get Bali to say bye-bye to plastic bags. Um, started, you know, again, very, very young as well, 12 and 10. Um, went to a different school than us. Uh, we managed to find ourselves uh, <laughs> much later. Um, and, um, but yeah, they, um, you know, from doing petitions to doing rallies, to doing a food strike, to speaking at international stages, um, they managed to convince the government, the Bali government of going uh, plastic bag free, which is amazing and a true achievement. Again, to show that, you know, the power of youth, young people can reach any, I guess anybody can, you know, if you have the, the, the hearts and passion and determination, um, I think that, you know, anything is possible. Um, and it's all about, you know, really truly believing in, in what you're doing. So cool. Um, just touching on education, you kind of brought it up a little bit earlier. Um, how important do you think this is in terms of educating the locals? And um, because also you have uh, at your uh, river cleanups, there's definitely a big mix of Westerners and locals. So I'd love to know how you have got um, the locals involved and um, and yeah what you think about education and how you're going about kind of um, yeah how you're going about that definitely so um, I think you know like if, if we're looking at the at the plastic and waste crisis um, you know you look at the the way that we're doing it in Europe like separation at home like having multiple bins where you're putting the different plastics that you're consuming directly in the bins but in Indonesia we do not have that um, and a lot of people can't even afford for the truck to come to their house to pick up. So I think there's a true lack, again, of infrastructure combined with education. And a lot of people, you know, oftentimes on social media are like, why are you doing these river cleanups? It should all be, it's an educational conversation. If they were educated, this plastic wouldn't like go in the rivers in the first place. Well, I think, again, it's, I think it's a mixture of infrastructure, brands and education. Um, at the river cleanups, I think that it's more of an experience. Um, it's more of a wake-up call, like my wake-up call on that plastic river on the cheetah room. Um, and I think that, you know, if everybody were to experience a river like the cheetah room or a river here in Bali, um, at least it gets them thinking. Um, and I think that river cleaning, as much as a sorting session combined, gives you that full overview of, you know, like it shouldn't be like, yeah, like if our, our rivers should truly be cleaned like i'm i don't like it's not in my interest of cleaning rivers it's like I'm trying to do this uh yeah to do to, to you know protect our home island of bali but more so like yeah like this the, these polluted rivers are a true testament of like of how fucked up in many ways our world is becoming um and hopefully you know through this movement that we're trying to grow uh, more people can be aware and, and take action and um yeah and are you going into schools are you um well sc schools in the midst of covid have, have closed down um i guess their biggest educational weapon was our camera um so you know through highlighting local solutions um sharing that those on social media you know getting like like videos with multi-million views um that has really helped uh, you know we always try to think about crazy ideas and I think that powerful visuals oftentimes you know like people can't like people that have watched the video of a turtle with its straw up its nose and being removed like you know that's a, like a super strong visual 
that you can't take away from. Like the people that I've seen are visual of this cheetah room, oftentimes, you know, remember that one. Um, we did another project in, in New York when I was still living there. Um, and this time, you know, it was a project um, to highlight how much the average American creates in a month. Um, so literally uh, the average American person like consumes two and a half pounds of trash a day, um, which is about 1.2 kilos of trash um, every day. And so we had the crazy idea of um, having one of our friends like wear this, like this trash suit where instead of throwing his trash um, on the curb or in the bin, he would be wearing it on, on himself. So a little bit like what supersized me, uh, you know, Morgan Spurlock's eating McDonald's for 30 days. Uh, Rob was literally wearing his trash for 30 days. And, you know, over the month, he got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but I think that there was a true power in the project and like in doing a project like that, that was like engaging, but also, you know, super visual to basically get people to think about their own uh, garbage consumption. And so I think that if you're able to bring people and make them relate, when people see a polluted river, they're not going to have any connection to it or they're not going to know if they see a polluted ocean. But if you're able to bring in people uh, and get them thinking about their own plastic footprint or plastic consumption, then I think you're able to, to, to change pe how people view their own consumption and you, know, you get them started towards their own zero waste um, or less waste journey. And I think that, um, yeah, so always trying to find uh, the craziest projects to, to try to do that. Um, the last project that we did um, which we just wrapped up in February, was um, my brother. Um, he, so after finishing school in the US, um, he went on this crazy um, journey of running across the US um, without never having run a marathon before. Um, so just like Forrest Gump, but he was running with shoes made from ocean plastic uh, with Adidas and basically ran a marathon every day. Uh, but he was speaking to schools, speaking to, you know, to governors, speaking to mayors, uh, speaking to various groups out there to show them the visuals and tell them why he was running. Um, and funnily enough, like all along of his run, he was running through highways, through smaller roads. There was always like a trail of plastic that was literally like, you know, symbolically following him. But just the trail of like, even in the US, like, you know, like there was plastic pollution on the side of the road um, in almost every street that he, he ran in. So I think that you know, it just shows how global of a problem this is. Um, this plastic, you know, material that we invented um, almost a century ago, thinking that it would be, you know, it would re revolutionize our planet, very easy to use, very easy to transport. Um, but in many ways, um, you know, our, our planet is becoming plasticized. Um, you know, just a study came out a couple of days ago um, saying that, you know, we have 14 billion tons of plastic in the bottom of our ocean um, that nobody is able to reach. Uh, you know, like the average human consumes a, card, a credit card of plastics in terms of the, 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 the volume uh, a month. So, you know, we're all consuming it through microplastics that is running in our tap water. Um, you know, it's now raining microplastics. Um, so I think that it just shows that yeah, in many ways, we're, we're, we're going to be doomed and we have to take action. We could, you know, state about uh, also, you know, the big fact in the back of my mind is 2050, more plastics in the ocean than fish. 
Um, so, so much work to be done, but uh, let's not get overwhelmed by the numbers and, uh, you know, try to, I think also it's really good with it, um, a river cleanup is that you see your impact right away. So literally from, you know, before, photo, and after, and you feel satisfied, you feel like you want to take on the next river the next week, um, or any cleanups in that, in that matter. So I think that we need to start, yeah, start strong and continue fighting. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I think you're so impressive, everything you've done. And uh, I just want to say your little uh, motto, no idea is crazy enough to change the world. That's why you do all these crazy different um, uh, explore. Uh, what, what's the word I want to say? Crazy different projects yeah. to, to try and make um, a big difference. It's super, super cool. Um, so I wanted to ask about the fact that it seems like barley or um, maybe, and this is where I'm not super educated on all of this, but barley and maybe um, uh, poorer countries just don't have the infrastructure um, to deal with this problem in terms of like household waste. Because for in London, um, we get given uh, bags for recycling. Like they turn up at our door every few months and then we can recycle. It's easy. Mm. Here, I was so shocked to turn up to my really nice villa with my pool. And, you know, we live a, a crazy um, lifestyle here. Um, and there was no way to recycle. And then after doing some research, I realized that you can do it through a company called Eco Barley. And they give you the bags and they come and collect every week. But it's a cost to you, um, which is in London, it's covered by your... Um, council bill type thing right. so here it's it is way more difficult and the fact is that most people can't as you said can't afford it so I suppose what I'm asking is from all the different places that you've done all these different things is barley somewhere that is um has got a real problem compared to a lot of other parts of the world I think um you know when you look as well as at the um at waste, at the waste management crisis in many of these countries, it represents how developed um, the country is. And so in many developing countries, I guess, like waste management is not available um, or very limited or not accessible. Um, but yeah, definitely, like, I think that, you know, within Indonesia, um, we're only using a fraction of the waste management budget that we should be using. And so that's where the problem lies, like infrastructure. And so without proper infrastructure or the municipality, you know, that, that, that pays for your waste management with your tax uh, money, we'll never get uh, further. So, you know, we're seeing more and more uh, private companies that are stepping in and being like, wow, like if there is no waste management in Indonesia, that must be a plastic gold mine. But um, the truth is that it's super complicated to, to enter within the sphere of plastics. Um, you know, we have around 3.5 million waste pickers in Indonesia. Um, so, you know, the poorest of the poor um, living on trash. And, you know, they roam every street corner. A lot of them, most of them are in Java. Here on, on the island, we have about 1,300 of them um, and literally are living off the material that they can sell. Um, and a lot of, you know, this, this, this industry is, is full of, like, Mafia, uh, oftentimes, you know, these waste pickers are looking for a better life, moving to Bali, 
and are stuck um, within these systems of, of um, working for someone um, and not able to, to um, better their life out of poverty. So, um, so yeah, very complicated. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, it's going to be, it, it is hard for, for anybody to step in to really understand the, the true reality of it. Um, but we're seeing some really cool initiatives come through. Like, um, you know, the government of Indonesia in collaboration with a lot of different organizations a couple years ago introduced waste banks. And uh, waste banks are, you know, for a village, so for a small banjar, um, where villagers every week come with their plastics and literally, like, sell their own plastics. So let's say you have five plastic bottles, you'll sell those five plastic bottles, either get credit on like a coupon of the warung or like a little shop that you can go to or actually get like cash money in your hands. And so adding value to, to this plastic right there is where the problem and, uh, start, like starts. I think because um, we're not, they're not, people are not truly understanding how much plastics are actually worth in the recycling world um, or like as a, as a material, um, that's where like if people knew that, you know, like you could get like uh, 8,000 rupiah for a kilo of PET, um, I think that it would change entirely the conversation and we would see way less plastics in the environment. Um, I'm not saying that recycling is the this optimal solution. I think that we have to reduce our consumption. That's like the number one um, so like the, that's the number one uh, solution, reducing, uh, reducing and reduction. Um, but yeah, I think that adding value always changes perspectives and gets people a lot thinking way more about their actual impact. Yeah, that's so interesting. And so then that, so let's say those five plastic bottles, they are then taken by the government and um, recycled. So for example, like um, for, for waste banks within this area of Badung, uh, you know, like, so private company like Ecobali that you just mentioned have a really cool partnership with the government and are the ones that, you know, they're an aggregator um, or a transfer station, um, as you call it in Europe. Um, basically, they buy or collect and then they sell to recyclers in Java. We don't have any, um, you know, mass industrial recycling done in Bali. It's all done in Java. Um, and so within the price of recyclables, you have to take in transportation costs and other fees. Um, um, so, yeah, like prices of recycling are always uh, fluctuating with oil prices. Um, and so, you know, you're seeing the direct correlation with the, the material that's, you know, a very dominant um, petroleum industry. It's all connected. Um, so, you know, the lobbying behind the petroleum industry is correct, directly linked to the plastic industry. Uh, when we saw, you know, early COVID, obviously huge fluctuations in the financial markets, um, prices of recyclables dropped enormously. And so some of those waste pickers at the front line literally went from like 75,000 rupiah, about like $5 a day, US dollars, uh, down to 15,000 rupiah, which is like $1 a day. So like, you know, like a fraction depending on... so. A lot of um, these brands, um, so like Danone, Coca-Cola, Unilever, are trying to standardize the price and they're trying to come in to favorize, uh, create systems in place as well to, to make sure that you know, there's a set price and it's not gonna fluctuate all the time. And so, so that's where you know, companies 
are truly waking up and are feeling that extended producer responsibility of trying to leverage how this mess is going to be created. Um, so a lot of conversation in the space. Um, and I'm not, again, pointing fingers at them ultimately because everybody needs to be involved. Um, but yeah, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to require a couple of years, I think, um, for this plastic crisis to, to be controlled. But I th- I'm very, very optimistic that it's solvable, unlike you know, other things that are going on in the world. Um, but in many ways, you know, if we can solve this plastic crisis, it'll like, give us all of the energy you know, within the next 30 years. If, let's say, you know, this was controlled in, in developing countries, especially like Indonesia, second biggest polluter in the world after China, um, in terms of plastic pollution into the ocean because of our lack of waste management. Um, you know, we have everything in our power and like in, in the mindset to be like, let's take on the climate crisis. So baby steps, but we're coming. And, and you know, I think that people are, are, yeah, people like we're seeing so many innovators in the space, you know, speaking about new materials, new innovation to replace plastics. People are making like, um, plastic alternatives from mushroom, from algae, from fungi, um, all lab tested. Um, and so there's this big um, like revolution happening called the material revolution. Um, and so within the next 15 years, I think that that's where really we're going to see plastics reduction and this new material you know, coming into place. I think like, people's consciousness, especially in the COVID, has hit... Uh, has, especially in COVID-19, has hit the world. And people are thinking about, you know, what, what are we actually going to, how are we actually going to sustain um, this planet? So a lot of great minds. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of cool creative things coming in. Like um, our friend Kevin, who's, um, he's working with The Body Shop. Do you know this, th- this yeah, project? Yeah. So. He's working with the body shop and he, um, the body shop basically takes back the plastic containers from their customers. Um, so the customers drop the plastic containers back at the body shop. Those plastic containers go to um, Kevin and Eddie's factory. They then get upcycled into um, little mirrors and um, soap dishes with the body shop logo on and then they go back to the body shop to be resold that to me is just such a cool little loop and a really cool thing for a customer to be able to see as well to be able to be part of the process because this is all about community right and and become starting to really get aware of what you're buying what's happening with your plastic what you can do um with these yeah these amazing projects so i feel like there's so many cool things out there and that's super cool as well that there's like what you're doing and what kevin's doing and that's all in a small area in in bali so just think what the rest of the world can do (laughs) so tell us um uh about any like projects you've got coming up um or any interesting collaborations because i because i guess you're you've started testing out these barriers but you're the idea is to get how many barriers so 100 by the end of the year uh so the end of next year so 25 we'll have 25 by the end of this year um and that's really going to be like a symbol i think in many ways you know getting 100 that are fully operational operated by us and then we want to scale that up massively all around the world um, and literally show the blueprints and how-to videos for anybody to replicate themselves. We want to make river cleaning super easy for anybody to replicate. So 
you know, whether it's the sorting process, whether it's the picking up, cleaning up, or even the engineering of these booms. Um, and so I think Bali is a great uh, test lab in many ways. Um, so exploring with various, um, you know, different methods, from a floating solution to cages, to nets, to everything needs to obviously um, function and have no arms, so like the, the natural uh, habitats uh, that are living in the rivers. So yeah, really interesting as to how we're actually going to be scaling up this thing. Um, and what feels amazing is that we, we're having this, you know, this true beautiful community um, of supporters on the front line, like yourselves, that are coming week after week. Um, so that's been so rewarding, you know, to, to, for people to come back, uh, end their week in a good deed, spend two hours cleaning up and feel like they're solid warriors, uh, which you all are. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so exciting to, to see that. Cool. Um, so I just want to say, um, just before we kind of come to um, uh, some tips I want to ask you about, but we were actually just t- talking before this, before we started to press record about how um, I think all of this can be tied in with um, finding a purpose and mental health. So, so much of what I do on my channel is about trying to empower people to um, live their best possible life and find purpose and find health and happiness. And something that has really come to my attention about um, people who are a little bit lost or people who are struggling to find their purpose, which is a lot of people out there, um, where to start. And I've listened to so many podcasts recently, interestingly, that say, start by volunteering, start by doing something for someone else or for the planet. Do something that makes a difference because that helps you find a purpose. And I'd just love to know any thoughts you have on that or if you've had any conversations like that about yeah, mental health and, um, and, and joining your movement to find yeah, that, that purpose and that sense of community. Definitely. I think that um, you know, like, this movement is super volunteer-based and we're seeing you know, the same people come week after week. They're dedicating two hours of their time to, for the greater good of cleaning rivers and cleaning the environment. And, you know, they're getting everything, like just two hours of solid uh, on the ground with their two bare hands. They don't, they don't care if they're going to touch diapers. They don't care if they're, if they're going to get dirty. Um, I think that getting people, especially now in the midst of COVID, uh, people have time. People are truly asking themselves what they actually want to do. Um, so, you know, going out and doing something good for the planet, uh, starting with a river cleanup, starting with any cleanups, starting with any volunteering, I think really helps. And, and, you know, just through the exercise of cleaning up with your own bare hands, you get, you know, you feel, you feel super rewarded. You, you've ended your week um, doing something good and you can aspire to, you know, after that cleanup, you can aspire to, to more. So uh, definitely, um, yeah, for anybody out in Bali or um, around the world, uh, you know, as we continue to grow this movement, uh, we'd love to, for you to get engaged and see what river cleaning can, can do for you. I'm going to share some links so that people can see, like, some of your crazy projects that you've done, but also how they might be able to help donate cool. and things like that. Amazing. Thank you. And so I suppose, lastly, any tips for people wanting to reduce their plastic consumption but just not really sure where to start? Any kind of really simple tips? Definitely. Um, One of the biggest 
um, pieces of, of advice is to look at yourself in the mirror and basically, you know, go through your fridge, um, start with your fridge. If it's too overwhelming, start with your bathroom, but basically like divide your, your house um, in different sections where you might be using plastics. So in the bathroom, uh, you know, whether it's a toothbrush, a toothpaste, uh, what razor you're using, uh, you know, just literally go through every item that might be plastics. And I think getting an overall amount of what your plastic diet is um, or plastic consumption is, and then, you know, slowly reducing um, that overall plastic diet. So, you know, whether it's starting with one item a week, um, doing things that, you know, if you are aiming to stop using plastic bags and you've picked up a plastic bag on your way from the grocery shop, don't be harsh on yourself. It's fine. Like, you know, you're not, you're not, um, it's not going to happen overnight. It's a slow process. Um, and I think that, um, you know, once you've done that, um, a true reminder would be come out on a river cleanup with us to actually see the impact of what plastic has. Um, so yeah, plastic audit. Uh, so look at yourself in the mirror, see how much plastics you have, see what's realistic in terms of the plastics that you can cut down your daily life and come river cleaning with us are the tips. <laughs> come river cleaning. I love that. I am, um, I was told, um, Coffee cups, reusable coffee cups, obviously reusable water bottles and a canvas bag, your three items that you need yeah. need to have on you. <laughs> but yeah, anyone who ends up in Bali, they'll definitely have to join us because it's, um, it's truly incredible what you do. And I mean, I've only been to two and I'm so excited to come to more. And I'm excited to come and see your, um, what do you call it? It's a research center where you do all yeah. the... Um, sorting and I'm going to do some social media around that because I think it's Super a cool. real eye-opener for people to see and I've had some really interesting um, feedback on social media already um, people getting interested about about what you're doing so yeah I'm yeah. excited to spread the word and to collaborate with you and to yeah do more and more river cleanups <laughs> that's amazing no, thank you again for for this platform um, and for allowing us to, to share our message here thank you thank you Thank you for coming. Thanks so much to you guys for listening to my Move and Inspire podcast. Stay tuned for more interviews with some incredible people in wellness. Let's aim together to find our inner strength and to keep searching for what it is that sets our souls on fire.